This is a HeadGum Podcast. Universal FanCon is a brand new convention coming to the Baltimore Convention Center in April of 2018. FanCon will be a round-the-clock event featuring comics, cosplay, gaming, celebrity guests, music, and more with a focus on diversity and inclusion. Get your tickets now at UniversalFanCon.com because geek is universal. Thanks for tuning in to this Black Girl Nerds Podcast Extra. My name is Jamie and I'm your host. This episode is all about the women behind Black Panther, featuring production designer Hannah Beachler and costume designer Ruth E. Carter. So the first segment is a one-on-one interview that I had with Hannah. Hannah is responsible for all of those eclectic and beautiful and Afro-futuristic designs that you see in the film. And in our second segment, features Ruth E. Carter, who is responsible for all of his elaborate costumes. Now, the second segment with Ruth E. Carter is actually an excerpt from our set visit interviews that we did. So it was recorded a while back last year, so just keep that in mind. And then as a bonus segment, our third segment, we're going to go back to Hannah again. Listen, everything that you've wanted to know about production design is going to be revealed in this episode, and Hannah tells all. So this final segment features her set interview that we had done last year as well, and she's got some interesting secrets to share. And I hope you enjoy this BGM podcast extra that features the women behind Black Panther, Hannah Beachler and Ruth E. Carter. Hannah Beachler is a production designer who has worked on films such as Fruitvale Station, Creed, Miles Ahead, Moonlight, and Beyonce's film video, Lemonade. Currently, you can see her latest work on Marvel's Black Panther, scheduled to come out February 16th in a theater near you. Well, listen, um, guys, thank you so much for tuning into this episode, this Black Panther special edition of the Black Girl Nerds podcast. My name is Jamie, and I'm your host. We've been doing roundtables all week and junkets and coverage of Black Panther because it is by far the biggest movie of the year and we're super excited about it. And I am particularly excited because I am sitting down talking to the production designer of Black Panther. So all of those really great concept art that you saw throughout the film or that you will see, um, some of us have seen it. Um, that is all Hannah's doing. Hannah Beachler is here with us on the Black Girl Nerds podcast. Hannah, thank you so much for coming on the show. Thank you so much for having me. This is really exciting, exciting time right now. It really is an exciting time. And I know you were there Monday for the premiere. Is that right? Yeah, I was. I was with my son. I brought my uh, 19-year-old with me. Oh, so the the premiere I, I had a chance to attend and it is something that I will remember to tell my kids and tell my kids' grandkids as well. Um, but it, it really was a glorious event and I wanted to know for you, what was it like watching it with an audience for the first time? I mean, it was really wild because I, you know... I haven't seen a finished cut. I saw a cut um, back in September, and of course, you know, haven't seen the finished cut. And I was, you know, trying to watch the movie and then watch everything in it to see how everything like looked on screen. And then I wanted to watch all the people around me to see their reactions to things. And 
and then being surprised by, you know, some of the humor and, and just the way that it ended up being cut was, it was all like overwhelming and exhilarating and exciting. And and it it was amazing. And I was really happy. I was really happy with the final um, film. Yeah, and from the reaction of the audience, so is everybody else. <laughs> um, it, it, yeah, yeah, people's reaction was really awesome. You know, people were laughing and and cheering, and it was lovely. It, it it was it was definitely a sight to see, and and I'm curious to know because your work is just so beautiful. We've seen it in more than just this big film that's coming out, but you've done work on Creed, Fruitvale Station, Moonlight. And Beyonce's Lemonade. Uh, so so <laughs> <laughs> that's a big deal for us. So, so what led you to production design? And and what out of all of the work that you've done, what's the your favorite film that you've worked on? Um, you know, I really yeah, I went to film school, and I was always sort of thinking about directing and and um, writing. And you know, during my course. In film school, I really started to understand and realize that the way I related to this medium and what moved me about it was the story that was sort of behind the the story and the the, the story within the, um, you know, environment. And that's really what I paid attention to. And, you know, one of my professors sort of pointed it out to me, like, you know, your art direction is always really good. And, and a friend of mine was working on a small project, and she was like, hey, what, can you come out and help in the art department? And um, I was like, yeah, you know, okay. And I kind of fell in love with it from that point. That was sort of an aha moment of like, yeah, this is really what I want to do. And I'd always aspired to sort of, be a Nancy Haig and, and do set decoration. And on a film that I was working on as a set decorator in Shreveport, Louisiana, um, the director said to me, he's like, you should, you know, why aren't you production designing? You should production design. And I really thought about it. And I was like, oh, you know, I'm going to be, you know, set decorator. And a couple of years later, I was like, you know, I think I can production design. <laughs> so I just kind of, promoted myself and said, you know, yeah, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a production designer. That's amazing. Is there a favorite film or project that you've worked on? Oh yeah. Um, you know, <laughs> the one I've actually watched the most, um, is Creed and I really nice. enjoy it cause it's so much fun and I was really happy with the way that that looked and, and came out. And then, um, you know, that's probably the one that I've watched the most. I usually don't watch the stuff I work on too often. Um, you know, Fruitvale was hard. It was emotional and it was hard to, to watch. Mm-hmm. And I watched it like three times. And, you know, I just needed to put that behind me at a certain point because it was such an emotional um, journey and um you know, of making it and then watching it and, you know, so there was that, but I don't know that I have a favorite because everything is different. I've learned something different on everything and I've taken a different journey on all the projects. So it's like, they're kind of all my favorite for different reasons. Right. It's very interesting that when you watch a film different from the rest of us, that you carry with it, the experience while working on it. And then that kind of changes your perception on how you receive the film. 
Um, Absolutely. And I, I felt that with Black Panther because you do like go back to the moments that you were coming up with the concept, that you were working on it, that you were, you know, as it was getting built and the decisions that you were making about that particular set. So, and the moments that you were having, you know, with your crew during that time of, you know, oh, we have a lot going on right now and, and the fun that you had with everybody and sort of, you know, the learning process. So it was, it's, it, yeah, I definitely look at it. <laughs> I think that's why I watch Creed so much because it was, it's sort of the one where I, I don't do that so much. Mm. I don't, um, not that I don't think about the experience, but I don't pick at it as much as I pick at everything else. And I'm, I'm not that I'm not satisfied with everything, but, you know, I, it's weird. I, I, just, I don't pick on it because the story is such an endearing story and I am a hard Rocky fan. So, <laughs> deep down, you know what I mean? I, 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 right. I, I know the yeah, franchise may be better than I ever let on. And, um, and, and just a deep fan, so I can kind of just watch the story and not necessarily pick out all of the uh, sets, you know. Um, but, yeah, everything offered something different, so... Uh, and, and you're working with different people, so you, it's always going to be a different type of, of, of experience, you know. Um, Beyonce, that experience was much different from anything I'd ever done. Mm. And... Um, there were some, some freedoms there that I hadn't had previously as far as creatively in the sense that, you know, um, it was sort of like, you know, we spoke and she sort of told me like what the themes were and everything, but it was sort of like, you know, kind of go in there and, and put your own creativity on it as well and sort of come up with these ideas for, for everything and Khalil Joseph, you know, sort of guiding everything along. But it was this sort of spontaneous atmosphere that she created of, you know, being creative in the moment and seeing creative things in that like moment of that you're feeling a certain way. So it was just this sort of like stream of consciousness poem, you know, that was happening the whole time. Very different. You know, speaking of creativity and one of the films that you mentioned you um, enjoyed the most working on, the movie Creed, uh, I understand from reading up on your, your work that you designed the French Street Gym that's very prominent in that film. And I was curious to know if you can tell us um, some of the set pieces in Black Panther that are very prominent that you that you design that we'll be able to recognize when we see it. And everything. <laughs> <laughs> everything. <laughs> you know, I mean, I can you know name all the different different things that I design that are you know the sets. The, I guess my favorite set is Sherry's lab. I always tell everybody. Oh yeah. And um, my other favorite set is Hall of Kings, where you know uh, Forrest Whitaker sort sort of that's his that's his set, and um, Mbaku's uh, is another favorite one. And that that one was sort of a struggle to find. It took a long time to sort of get to that design, um, and it was because we had sort of changed the location that the, the Jabari are in and it's in the snowy mountainside environment. So kind of 
connecting them being wood, you know, woodworkers and carpenters and, you know, master craftsmen in, in a snowy mountain environment where you have very little trees and things like that nature was sort of a hard thing to play on at first. But after a while we got there and it ended up being like just a very stunning, stunning piece. And, and it's a little bit of art and it's a little bit of practical, um, functional throne room, I guess you would say, but mm. it's it's definitely its own thing outside of the rest of Wakanda. You know, there's a reason for every single little tiny thing, you know, in the throne room and you see T'Challa's den for a quick second and uh, the Wakanda Design Group, the Great Mound, Step Town was another really fun, fun one to do because um, we did that whole street. And, um, that was fun because we really brought in this sort of really a more traditional edge than you'll see any place else. And a life, looking at sort of getting a snapshot of what life, everyday life is like in Wakanda. And in that particular district, it's sort of akin to, you know, um, now I guess you would say, you know, maybe Fort Greene or, mm. um, you know, Highland Park, it's sort of like young family professionals that take the tradition and make their own thing out of it. It was music and art and um, body art. And so it's very eclectic. It's very Afro-punk. And that was fun to mix that sort of aspect and that idea of that type of an area into the, you know, fabric of Golden City. But yeah, all of that stuff, I mean, yeah, that's all production design. And I, and I, you know, there was a lot of stuff that I thought to have in there as well. So there's, that's also part of my job is to just stand by a concept. Um, even if, if, you know, you're like, look, this could not be good, but, you know, you got to stand by it and, and have some conviction too. And, and, and I was lucky that a lot of stuff did. <laughs> but it's everybody's Marvel lending their expertise to it because, you know, they they know what works and what doesn't work in the type of films that they do and and where they want to take their company and their production. So there's also that voice that's there. And then of course Ryan, who's the overall visionary, but I had a lot of leeway and a lot of freedom to just come up with like something, whatever, you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. To come up with like these 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 designs that are in my head. And they and then watch them like turn into like actual structures, and that is really really amazing. I sense that at this point, you know, between you and Ryan and your career, that he pretty much trusts you, and is just like, you got it, <laughs> because you yeah, guys have worked he, yeah, for so long together. Yeah, and that's the lovely thing. Yeah, you know, we have a shorthand and. And Ryan just has a very unique perspective on, on, on everything. And so I'm constantly learning from him. He'll say something like putting the wrong dollars on the skyscrapers. And, you know, him sort of putting those two things together helped me get over uh, a, a hurdle that I was struggling with on how do I combine structures that large mm -hmm. with something very traditional that's very small so you know you're always trying to figure out and sometimes you struggle with it and Ryan has this ease about him where he can see things mm -hmm. that a lot of people cannot so mm -hmm. it's always this 
magical thing working with him and also he then trusts you which then I in turn trust my crew as well because it starts from the top um, with the way things are going to, to go it's, and that's the only time maybe trickle down actually works <laughs> if I might add that and um, so it's it's feeding off of the energy that Ryan puts out um, to all of his department heads and then in turn knowing that you know you can trust the people that work with you to bring their own creativity and make it just as fantastic so I'm not a controlling person either as Ryan that's awesome I mean I just continue to hope to see more work from the both of you because we definitely need it and we starve for it um, and Speaking of that, like fans are going crazy over this film and social media in particular has gone wild with hashtags that trend daily, it seems. <laughs> what, what are your thoughts about how fans have reacted to the movie? It's really exciting um, to feel that love from everyone. And, and it just also amplifies the need for diversity and for inclusion and you know, I, I'm hoping that this this hype and this noise and everybody being excited about it is is being heard from other studios and other production companies. Like, you know, clearly in this situation, Marvel is an avant-garde, and and the fact that they were, you know, went to this place with us and you know really supported this project. So I, I'm hoping that the excitement behind it spurs on more projects like it and opens up doors for more storytellers to bring their creative and their vision in, in, in vehicles that are tentpole uh, size movies. So it, it means a lot. And it's so always inspiring to me that to hear from fans that everything that we put into it, because you put your whole self. I mean, you put every last inch of your human being into something like this. Um, until you can't move and you hope that people see that that's what you did. You know, you hope you, people see that that's the work and the love and the, and the happiness and the joy and the journey and wanting to share this world with everybody is, is exciting for people to be um, seeing and, and really enjoying and loving and appreciating. So it's, I'm just grateful. I'm just all around blessed and grateful. And we're grateful to see your work on the big screen. Are we going to see your work anywhere else anytime soon? What's next for you? Yeah, you will. Um, keep your eyes open on the Oscars. Oh, <laughs> oh, you're yeah, designing for the Oscars? Uh, well, there'll be something they'll be airing that from D. Reese and myself and Rachel Morrison. Ooh. Um, that uh, you directed and Rachel shot and I designed that I'm super excited about, so. Okay, and it's just a little thing, but that's like the, the thing that I've done most recent, you know, um, project. I took a lot of time off after Panther to uh, sort of kind of do other projects. And I do a lot of speaking on panels and things and like to speak to colleges and, and elementary schools and whatnot to, to tell people and show people all of the, the uh, crafts that, that are out there in the film industry um, that aren't necessarily directing or producing or acting, but all the crafts that make the films happen behind the scenes. And uh, so just sort of spreading that 
and hoping that, you know, young creatives are interested and get involved in, in, um, in the film industry, especially, you know, uh, young people of color, um, girls and boys and young men and women. So that's an important thing for me to do and constantly be there as a mentor for, for kids let them know like you know this is this is a good place to be and and you can find a place in this industry and the doors are opening now because you know people like rachel morrison and d reese and ryan kugler and and rick Fumayayi and and uh, scott falcona and and uh you know lena waits and ava devane the doors are opening mm, yes they are indeed and i wouldn't be surprised Jordan, if yeah. Jordan Peele, yes, guest of the uh, podcast. And I, I wouldn't be surprised at all if there was like a surge in production design courses after people see Black Panther, because those set pieces are <laughs> gorgeous. Um, where can our listeners... Oh, absolutely. I, I don't doubt it at all. Where, where can our listeners um, find out where you are on social? I, I am on Twitter. I'm um, Chinchilla1970. So it's not my name, and I know everybody's like, that's like Loki. <laughs> that's like Loki, but it is. It's, it's, it's C-H-I-N-C-H-I-L-L-A-1970. That's that's my uh, handle on Twitter. So you can look for stuff there and articles and like kind of what I've been up to and, you know, took everybody to the Black, Black Panther premiere and, and posted a bunch of pictures and I had blast at that. That was so much fun. And it was truly everybody dressed like just royal attire to the nines. It was beautiful. It was gorgeous. It was a beautiful sight to see. Like all of Black Hollywood was there and I was so starstruck. It was yep. amazing. <laughs> yeah, so was I. I was like running around like and my son kept pointing at people. He's like, Snoop Dogg, Donald Glover. You know, yeah. Everywhere he went and he was just pointing out people up. So I was running up to everybody like, excuse me, I'm a big fan. Can I get a picture with you? <laughs> oh my gosh, yeah. It, it was fantastic. And again, we're so excited to see your work on the big screen. Please look for Black Panther this month. Also next month, the Oscars. Hannah Beachler, thank you so much for coming on the Black Girl Nerds podcast. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. I really enjoyed the conversation. Ruth E. Carter is a costume designer for film and television with over 40 films to her credit, who's mastered the look of multiple periods and genres, envisioning the clothing and overall appearance of characters or performers. During her nearly 30-year film career, Carter has earned two nominations for an Academy Award for Best Costume Design on her work in films such as Malcolm X, directed by Spike Lee, and Amistad, directed by Steven Spielberg. Currently, you can find her work in Marvel's Black Panther. Hey everybody, so we have uh, Ruth Carter, our uh, costume designer. So. Um, she's going to start talking as she gets into specifics about um, each character. I'll kind of walk around and show you the illustrations sure. and we'll give you an opportunity to look at them a little closer. Hi, everybody. Uh, Thank, Thank you for inviting me. <laughs> yeah, uh, the Marvel Universe is a brand new uh, frontier for me. It's been very exciting. Um, working with you know some of the uh, most creative minds I think in um, 
the superhero world. Uh, we were great collaborators. Um, We've uh, done five months of, um, well, my part was five months of uh, developing some of the characters that uh, everyone knows and loves. Uh, you, 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 you inhaled like you had I was like, oh, question already. Yeah, so the, um, the director, Ryan Kugler, um, interviewed me and wanted my concept art in the very beginning of, you know, what I thought of the Black Panther and the Wakandan world. <clears throat> of course, they couldn't share a script with me, so I went out and read all the comic books and tried to gather up as much as I could. You know, it's, it's really such a vast world, it's hard to capsulize it for a 30-minute uh, interview, but um, I was able to collaborate my, some, with some of my ideas about, you know, it being a place that is well ahead, you know, futuristic in some ways, but not futuristic. A place in Africa that's African, but also has, you know, uh, a wide stretch of cultural awareness that reaches um, too many um, the depths of many cultures, um, as well as you know, a beauty that is unique amongst its uh, itself. So that being said, uh, looking at the uh, futuristic sci-fi just took you too far in one direction. Looking at Afrocentric or Afropunk or African, you know, there's all kinds of places in Africa where you can draw your inspiration from. So I couldn't stay in one region of Africa. I couldn't stay in West Africa and make it Nigerian and Ghanaian and forget that there was East Africa, which also had some great uh, uh, images and colors and textures. So um, there was a Bible that was presented to me um, that Ryan developed that explained it all and explained what Wakanda was and explained the different tribes of, of uh, Wakanda and, and what, where they came from. So there were pieces of all different points in Africa that were combined. And when you research those real places like the Dogon or the Nigerian culture, you kind of sometimes had a conflict of, um, of aesthetics. And so it was up to me to, to meld the two cultures together and make it one unique one for, for our Wakanda and for our look for the costumes. So that was my first challenge, learning curve beyond belief. Uh, and you know, once that kind of got into my bones, I was able to really understand from the comic uh, reader's point of view what Wakanda was and looking at a lot of the images that were painted in the comic strips you'd see you know people cheering in the streets for example as the Dora Milaje walked down carrying T'Challa on his chair you know you kind of got the concept and I think comics is mainly broad stroke concepts especially with regards to costumes because the costumes generally don't really work in the way that real clothes do. You know, the Dora Milaje, you're walking in the middle of the road with a sarong and a tube top and tattoos. And I mean, they look really great. And, you know, mohawk and great little tiny sunglasses. 
And we know that in the stunt world, <clears throat> that kind of costume is just not going to work. So also, uh, with regards to the Dora Milaje, we wanted to make them have more of a presence, uh, more of a strength of authority. That they did have. They were, you know, they were badass chicks. You know, they were, they were protecting the king. And two, T'Challa, being the Black Panther, is walking around in this skin suit. So we didn't want the guy in the skin suit walking around with the girls in the bathing suits. So we developed it more <clears throat> as a real warrior might be developed. Real warriors who need their arms protected and need to have well, shields and armor and weaponry and shoes like they're really going to go to battle and uh it you know it there's a there's a oh it takes away time to get there because you know you you we all you know as women we all want to be you know that girl who can you know fry up the bacon and you know do all the other stuff but <clears throat> in the end it's got to feel empowering um, also, with regards to T'Challa, the king, the prince, you know, we take it from his father's death. He's no longer king. And now he can be challenged to, uh, he had, you, others could challenge to take over his throne. So he's the prince. He starts out as our prince. And um, what we wanted to do, because there's another element to the story that I can't tell you about, a spoiler alert, uh, that we wanted to juxtapose two things. Our prince was very kingly. He was very clean, very, very uh, tailored. What you would expect out of the son of a king. Um, we, we also looked at a lot of embroidery, and daishikis and things that people could relate to. And we kind of embellished his kingly clothes with those things so that he's the king that you know. And it, you know, it became a process too because um, we're in Wakanda. It's a, barefoot, it's a barefoot culture. So three out of five, I can walk around barefoot. Uh, and this weather, I don't know, maybe as we keep shooting, we'll get to that. <laughs> but uh, we felt that, you know, in the typical sense of what happens in a throne room, you have, you know, the king and the crown and maybe uh, he's head of the military. So we've, we, we gave him two things, um, kind of a sandal, an open sandal, so it felt like Africa but he also wore a beautiful tailcoat. We gave him uh, a, a lovely cloak, you know, adorned with kente, and then we gave him military, military boots and pants. So, you know, he gives, uh, he gives you two uh, messages that he is, you know, princely, he is elegant, he's also head of the military, and we are in Africa. So um, with, uh, with Nakia, which is Lupita, she um, starts out as a war dog coming from uh, uh, Nigeria. And she's fighting for uh, young Nigerian women who are, who are captured by the you know, mean guys who 
who are militants that capture women and put them in slavery. And so she starts out very tough. We see her uh, immediately as a fighter. We know her as a fighter. And she's dusty and dirty, and she, she wants to stay in that element. She's comfortable there. Um, and I researched like all kinds of fashionable war dogs, all kinds of fashionable, dirty, you know, fighters. And there's a lot of good looks out there, you know, so it was hard to pick one. But I think what we found for her was, you know, really great because it was very much not a part of Wakanda. It was a part of, you know, the world around. And uh, she travels into Wakanda. And then her, she, she starts to gradually um, go back to her Wakandan roots, if you would. Um, and that, and that, you, in that, her color palette also changes. It starts out as a war dog in army greens and browns and earth tone dirty and and the army boots. And then, she, as as we we greet her in other costumes and other scenes, the greens become very clear. It's more jade. It's more teal. It's a more put together, not necessarily put together, she still wears one earring and she still has her tough exterior, but we start seeing a little bit more layers to her, her, her origin of being a Wakandan uh, a girl. Uh, the head, uh, the, the, the highest warrior of the river tribe. Her tribe is the river tribe. She's uh, she's the fierce warrior of the of the river tribe, and her color is green. And so I have examined every spectrum of green, and green is a wonderful color because, like nature, all greens got, kind of work together, so work together well. And so that was fascinating because she's such a beautiful tone. She can wear, you know, the chartreuse and the and the bottle green and all those greens so well. I just have a question. I mean, war dogs have a specific costume in the comics. Was that ever considered? Yeah, you know, I looked through a lot of that, and it does have, you know, a little bit of a paramilitary feel to it. And she had that, but because you know she is a new character to this, I wanted to give her a look that she could follow, that we could follow her in, and just add her to the fold. So it's kind of like I said, you know, you examine the comic books and you know you have, I have a, a commitment to all of the comic book uh, readers out there who love the, the series and love the Black Panther. And also I felt like obligated to give them something more. Yeah. You're creating these costume designs and creating a society through the costumes while um, Hannah's working on the production design and creating the world that these costumes have to play in. So how closely did you two work together so that your aesthetics were, were matching up? Yeah, I think Hannah and I are kind of like besties right now. <laughs> because we constantly are like screaming and jumping up and down and hugging each other. Um, <clears throat> we work very closely. We had a lot of visual development meetings where she showed us uh, sets. And um, I'm, you know, happy that we have this vast network at Marvel where I can plug in and open up all of the beautiful uh, set designs that Hannah has designed and be reminded of what they're going to do. Because a lot of times things are blue screen. When you get to set, 
it's a stairway and a blue screen. <laughs> so you're not necessarily getting fed all the time. But then there are some beautiful, beautiful sets that we built here. And I think they're even more beautiful than they are on the, on the page. Um, and the color palettes, were very, we were very strict about the color palettes. There are the River Tribe, which is green. There's the Border Tribe, which is blue. There's the Panther and the Royal Palace, which is black and royal purple. So we had a real clear, the Jabaris that are wood. And we had a very clear direction, and that came from Ryan. And Hannah, her taste level is through the roof. So, you know, I was constantly becoming aware and still visiting as they're developing the sets, seeing what lanterns are going in, the furniture, and still getting a surprise when I get to set. So this, this business is kind of always uh, morphing, and you're always tweaking when you, when you see things, you know, really finally coming together. You mentioned um, the cultural inspiration um, when creating these costumes. Um, how do you access the personality for each individual character? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, a lot of times the actors in fittings, uh, a fitting uh, for me is like a therapy session. <laughs> I'm like asking him, what are you doing here? Why are you here? You know, what makes your friendship so special to T'Challa, and what makes you what makes you guys uh, nemesis? What makes you what makes you not not get along? I'm always asking those questions, and um, you know, part of the subconscious thing that happens after you do a lot of research and you look at so many images, you might look at some image of a voodoo priest, and he might have a particular uh, hood or sweater or cape or cloak. And when you have that conversation with an actor, some of those images pop into your head and you go, hey, wait, let me look this up. Let me show you this. We should do that because that communicates what you just told me. And that's kind of how we work together. And that's the fun part of my job. In cases where the costumes have the CG on, what's, what's that mean? Well, that's really interesting, you know, because you get a, they put dots on their face. They, we have a strip of black and white tape, and we tape it around their, their bodies. And, but for the most part, what uh, Jeff Bauman, our special effects uh, producer, has told us is that just be as creative as you envision it, and let us just take it from there. Don't try to work in our world. Let us work in your world. So... He basically asks me if I'm done, and they and they do a they have a booth on set that has cameras and 360 degrees, and in five minutes they have every aspect of the costume photographed, and then they take it and they manipulate it in any way that they see is proper for what they're trying to accomplish. So, you know, he hasn't bombarded me, and he's also said, you know. If there's something you don't like or something, you know, is bugging you, you know, let me know and I can I can help you with that. And I thought, you know, great, when does that ever happen? You know, like, <laughs> I really wanted her shoes to be black instead of brown. How about that? Well, I don't think it goes as detailed as that, but um, pretty much I haven't been asked to give anyone a blue suit. Um, at, at most, I've been asked to give someone a sleeve with a blue uh, band on it so they could remove something. Um, I was just going to ask you about, you talked earlier about the colors for each character and how they morph and change. With the big four, we're talking with Pizza, Danny, Michael, and 
Uh, Chadwick, can you maybe give a texture? Because earlier Hannah was talking about the textures of each production set, and like some had glass, earth, sand. Oh, yeah. That's great. See, she was fabulous. She was great. I should have come in here when she was in here. <laughs> well, yeah, there's also textures. Uh, river Tribe, you know, the river and shells. We didn't use shells with anyone else unless they were part of the River Tribe, and that's Nakia's tribe. You know, and Border Tribe is wood and wood grain and strength, and we have a character who, you know, we made all of his armor out of wood, and, you know, there's... Definitely, uh, it's all about textures. I, I worried a little that uh, as we photograph lots of textures, sometimes you get a, a buzzing or a sensation that happens on film and, you know, with beads. You know, in African culture, there's tons of beads. Beads everywhere. I have beads everywhere. And so those kinds of textures are throughout the film. Um, and then some that some new things that we have created because I feel like it's a mix of old tradition and new. So uh, you know, there's there there's some foiling that's happening, and there's some uh, some you know Miyaki style pleading that's happening too. So you obviously came into this with a costume for Black Panther himself as the hero already set. Uh, what can you tell us about what stamp you were able to put uh, as far as putting little tweaks into his costume? <laughs> <laughs> what can she tell us about? <laughs> Let's talk about the original Black Panther. <laughs> what did you like about the original Black Panther costume that you were able to use to help inform you? Yeah, I like the original Black Panther costume. I liked his helmet and I liked his boots. And I liked a lot of things about it, but what we wanted to do is take it into a new millennium, a new, a new attitude, a new technology, and you know, make it exciting again. You know, just make it exciting again. And um, and then sometimes, you know, cultures can come together with superheroes. And I'll leave it at that. Okay. In terms of like trying to make it newer, more more fun, like how. How do you work with Ryan to make sure that the, the functionality of the suit is justified through the story? Yes, um, there are a lot of meetings and a lot of talking and a lot of show and tells. You know, I've always loved show and tells, so that was fun for me. Uh, we do a lot of prototypes. Uh, we would uh, make up an arm. Actually, we made up six arms, and then we put them on the center of a conference table for one of our big meetings to show what the surface texture could look like, how it could change, you know, what uh, what Man of Steel, what what did Bat, what did Superman have under his suit, you know, uh, what what different things could we explore, that you know, there's only so far you can go. He can't all of a sudden have like a fur cape, you know. So within the parameters of our superhero, what could we add? And what could we compete with, you know, uh, that would give raise the bar for him and sort of keep him in the same uh, genre as Superman and Batman and all the other guys, you know, badass superhero. So, I'm oh, sorry, go ahead. Me um, I noticed in the scene that's being filmed today, um, the costumes that the Wakanda characters are wearing feel a little less visually distinct. Like it's a lot of hoodies and motorcycle jackets. I was wondering if that was intentional because they're outside of Wakanda, and if so, um, is there a sort of a trick to creating a Wakandan street style that works outside of the Who's in a hoodie and a motorcycle?
motorcycle jacket. I didn't bought one hoodie and I haven't used really? one yeah. motorcycle jacket. I could be wrong, but it looked like Nakia was wearing like something with a sort of Oh, you saw that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> mm. Well, I told you she was from outside of Wakanda. That's true. <laughs> and uh, she is in green. Did you notice that? Yeah. Um, <clears throat> and we are in a, uh, can I talk about the, what they're doing? Yeah, they see a little bit. Oh, okay. And, and we are in a black site. Right. right. CIA black site. So they're kind of undercover. Right. Yeah. So they put on their street clothes mm -hmm. that are kind of American <laughs> to, to fit in. But one is in all green, mm -hmm. and the other, who is Adora, is in all red, yeah. sort of. So in their sense. way, they put on a disguise. Mm -hmm. But you'll see that it's very much in line with... Um, um, yeah, that is no, that is a motorcycle style jacket. Um, it's uh, by a designer called Aliyah, Aliyah, Azadine Aliyah, and um, we totally manipulated it. We we dyed it and cut it shorter, and you know, and made it, manipulated it, and made it her own. And um, yeah. Yeah, so that's what it is. It's a CIA black site, so they're doing a whole little thing. You notice T'Challa has on a sweatshirt hoodie. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Forgot all about that. <laughs> and jeans and uh, black tennis shoes. It's very different from what they usually are wearing. Come back tomorrow. <laughs> Only Monday. Uh, yeah, I'm hoping you could talk a bit about uh, Eric Killmonger because, uh, I mean, specifically in the comics, he's not a big fan of shirts. I'm curious. Yeah. <laughs> Did you see him walking around? He looks fantastic. <laughs> he has a specialty costume that he wears today, but I think he's only going to be wearing it on set. He probably is not going to walk around in it. But I think that there are some there are some really exciting costumes in this one. You'll you you won't be disappointed. <laughs> what were some of the influences uh, you had for the Dora Milaje from their their universe? I know you said you wanted it to be functional, mm -hmm. the stock one, but what were some mm -hmm. of the influences? Yeah, well, you know, when you look at all the tribal work, you know, and you see a lot of red, you know, there's a co common color in you know African tribal cultures, you know, red, yellow, white. It's used quite a bit. Um, and so we wanted to make sure that the colors themselves were uh, reminiscent of, you know, tribal colors that we know. And it's really a primary red and a really tomatoey orange. You see that a lot of plaids um, in Mali in some of the in some of the uh, Maasai tribes. You see that a lot. You see the the red painted skin. You see in the um, Himba tribe. You see a lot of the clay, you know, the clay work. And so you notice that they're, and in the Dormelage and the comic strips, they are red, in, and that's, they're pretty much the color. So we wanted to stay with that, number one. Um, <clears throat> number two is um, they have a tabard that they wear across the front of their costume. And for a very long time, I could not figure out why the tabard, why the tabard. Um, it was approved, and I kept wanting to get rid of it, but it just wouldn't go away. So I said, this tabard, that's it's kind of a harness. Like I call it a harness now. In the beginning, I called it a, t a tabard. Um, needs to mean something. You know, if they all wear this tabard, and it doesn't hold a sword, it doesn't hold a gun, it doesn't ha do anything but kind of stay there in the front, uh, it has to have a meaning. So I beaded it. 
and I put little charms on it for protection because that, to me, also felt like it was a part of the African culture to have your little talismans on things for protection and good luck and good spirit and you know. So there's three places on the tabard where they wear a little shield, a little amethyst uh, stone, and I think it's a piece of jade. The rest of it is beaded, and I wanted the be the, the uh, beading to look very, um, very uh, earthy, you know, very earthen, and and feel like something that could be handed down. Like you could take your harness and give it to your daughter, and she, when she became a Dora Milaje, and you could wear her tabard. I felt like it was one of those kinds of pieces that they had. Best of its tights and a leotard, what can I tell you? <laughs> and, a, and a beautiful design, but the, 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 uh, the harness and the tabard, that was the special piece of the Dora Milaje for me. So guys, I'm gonna let you one last question. Okay. Uh, I was just going to ask, how does the uh, Wakandan uh, style, I guess especially street style, reflect their relationship with the outside world or lack thereof? Well, I think it uh, says that they're not like in outer space, that they still like to wear, you know, Nikes that light up and, <laughs> and, uh, and yellow, yellow hats and big kooky glasses, and they still wear natural hair, and they still like to... Um, you know, combine prints like everybody else does. But I think what it also says is that there's a different kind of a freedom that they enjoy. And that is because they have a, such a tight culture, um, they, the different tribes, they do commingle. And um, there, it's just a place that, um, you know, has the same kind of rules and regulations, I think, of the other world, the outside world does. You know, there are bad kids in the park, you know, <laughs> and, there's, and there's a, mar a merchant district, there's a hospital. There. I, I took each district and I gave it a name that I could relate to and remember easily. So I said Steptown was like Brooklyn or NYU. And then I'd say another district was like uh, the Upper West Side where there's more families and more, it's more settled down, but it's still New York. I used, this, the, I used Manhattan basically as my um, way of remembering how I was going to sort of view different parts of Wakanda. And it kind of did make sense, you know. You know, there's, a, there's an area that's mainly um, medical. And so I was like, but that's like UCLA medical area. You know, you get into some of those communities and it's all the doctors and people walking around. And that's kind of, you know, there's different districts of Wakanda that, you know, kind of. And then I said, how do I make it look unique to us? And that it's a barefoot culture. They're advanced in technology. What are they wearing? You know, do they have the, you know, is it corny to have something like lighting up? I mean, our DP, she walks around with her headset on and the light is blinking all the time. And I was like, Wakanda, it's like here every day. <laughs> so that's kind of how I feel like you can actually, after watching this film, see things that well, you can point at and say, that's Wakanda. And we're back once again with production designer, Hannah Beachler. So a lot of the artwork up is Wakanda. So welcome to Wakanda, <laughs> more, than, more than anything. So I guess what I can do is just, I know y'all kind of looked around at the room. 
I'll just kind of go through very quickly and I'll tell you a little bit about um, each of these sets real quick and sort of the thought behind some of it. Um, I've worked with Ryan Coogler before, so this is our third film together, which is very, very lovely because we have a nice shorthand. And um, I'm pretty grateful that he trusted me, like, here's a civilization, let's go. <laughs> um, so that was, that was fun. We always have fun. He always drags me into things that I'm not expecting that I would ever do in my life. So it's challenging and um, keeps me sort of, you know, doing something new all the time. Uh, so one of the things that we really wanted to make sure about Wakanda is the technology, and I think that that's something that all the fans want to see. They want to see, like, you know, what is this advanced civilization? But the other thing that we really talked about was keeping the tradition of, you know, several different African tribes. So we sort of really delved in um, to what that was and how we sort of mix this new and this old, which is sort of a theme that Ryan and I have handled and dealt with before in Creed. We sort of mixed the old and the new in a different way with Rocky and, and Creed's son. So we just took that idea, that theme, and uh, expounded on it in, in a whole world building. Um, <clears throat> the big thing about Wakanda is it's vibranium, which is, <laughs> which is one of the strongest metals, not the strongest, but one of the strongest and most expensive metals. You know, T'Challa is the wealthiest man, more so than even Batman. And, be, and a lot of it is because of their vibranium and their knowledge and being able to handle vibranium and turning it into this. So we, we do have over here our Wakandan design group, uh, which has over time evolved into where all the tech is being created. Um, so we've got our vibranium mine, which is, you know, we've come up with this sort of little, this blue kind of glowing rock. We went around a lot about like what is vibranium because we see it in Cap Shield. Um, and it's very much a metal, so we have different stages of vibranium. We're going to see it a lot in its raw form, um, and not the uh, alloyed form, which is the sort of stainless look. And there we have the cave. And then there's the vibranium train. And so this piece at the bottom here, we're, we're building that set. We're building the Princess Shuri set, which is above that, which is she kind of runs the Wakandan design group. And she is a 16-year-old genius. And uh, so she's making all of the current technology. We wanted that to be the, the, the big place where you're going to see a lot of that. Keep it really in this black and white uh, mode. Their sand is a lot of their technology, and we took that a lot from the use of sand divination and a lot of the different African cultures, and again, mixing the old and the new. Um, so there's a lot of fun stuff going on in there. And she also likes to do some uh, graffiti. So you'll see a lot of her graffiti uh, up on the walls and uh, in her main computer. We have Mount Bashanga where her uh, building is next to this over here, which is sort of also a little bit militaristic. It's also their landing pad. It's uh, You'll see the Royal Talon Fighter, which is over here, which is the king's ship. Um, he's got his talent fighters, it's this last one over here, that escort it, sort of like Air Force One. And uh, the next to that is the Dragonflyer with the sort of wings that, you know, it was interesting, Ryan was in Africa way back in February, I believe, and he called me and he said, you know, oh, 
I saw this really great bird, this peafowl, which is a lot like a peacock. And he's like, that, it's, that's it. That's the royal talent fighter. And we went through a lot of iterations, and we sort of ended on this idea of like a mask. So when you look at the top of it, it looks like a mask. It looks like a mask from the bottom, the royal talent fighter. But we went and we started off with the peafowl um, for the dragonfly, and it sort of became its own thing. And it started looking like a dragonfly. So we, that name just came up because of the way that it looked. We didn't actually. So we're like, yeah, it's a dragonfly. Um, we've got the old part of Wakanda over here, Warrior Falls, which sort of also speaks to the City of the Dead and the Hall of Kings, which is, um, which is going to be a nice texture to see because we do sort of go back to the ancient and Warrior Falls is uh, where, you know, the, the, they fight, and that's in the comic. Um, but it's this natural falls, sort of. And when they open it up, you see there's a cliff ledge. There's all the people that come out into the cliff ledge. Uh, they take their boats there, obviously, with the panthers. We'll have lots of awesome panthers all over the place. Um, <laughs> and uh, so they take their boats there, and each tribe has their own sigil. Um, which you'll see in um, the throne room, the tribal council, but they each have their own sort of identifier for their tribe. So what the border tribe is horsemen, which is sort of after the Lesotho's in um, South Africa. And um, the um, merchant tribe is a symbol that we took from some language from Nigeria. And so we sort of did that. The golden tribe is the sun and we used what is a lot of the symbols for sun in a lot of the African tribes. It's kind of the same. So we sort of went there. But that's sort of the older texture. And the city of the den, we, you know, we wanted to bring in this idea of Angor Wat. We wanted to bring in this sort of like very low tech, a lot of fire. You really see sort of, you know, it's where all our ancestors are. You see a lot of masks, um, all the panther masks. And you sort of see how they do a lot of their rituals as far as... The heart-shaped herb, which you will see, fabulous <laughs> and, and wonderful. And then also the dream states that he goes into and meets the ancestors. And moving on, you see more tribal things. is the border tribes, uh, which is the sort of front for Wakanda. And uh, what people outside of the world in our, in our world will, will see of Wakanda is Sort of your traditional huts, your traditional Lesotho huts, your traditional mud huts. Um, With one one different thing is that they raise rhinos. So we had spent, I spent a month in South Africa and South Korea, and Ryan and I actually got to see, it was like 200 feet away, this giant um, white rhino named M20. And there was another one, another male named Satan, and we just, (laughs) (laughs) they're like, Satan's right around the corner, and I'm like, well, he should be in the car, (laughs) because that's where I want to be right now. So we pull around the corner, and we see this magnificent animal out in the middle, and, you know, the first thing Ryan does, because he's such an adventurer, is hop out of the car, and the guide was like, you know, he he can be over here in four seconds from 200 feet away, and he's like, well, what, what, you know, come over here, what? Do, what will he do? And the guy said, well, he'll put his three-foot horn through the door and flip the car like a matchbook. So we all got back in the car. <laughs> and we found it very comforting to take pictures from that distance away. But he really loved that, and he was like, you know, M20, we just got to have that. We just got to have that. So that's being incorporated in, in a really fun way. 
Um, and then we get to like the city, the Golden City, which is the capital. And um, we did a lot of work on this um, look and this set, again, mixing the traditional with the new. So you'll see in the city a lot of like um, thatched roofing on skyscrapers. You'll see um, all of the flying vehicles. You'll see all of the, the hovercrafts that we're doing. Everything is maglev. So we're really excited about about bringing that technology in. And it's really not unreachable technology. A lot of the things that we're doing is things that they're foreseeing 25 to 30 years as being something that we'll all be able to experience. And I think that's a lot of the fun thing about this film is that it's not far off. You can look a lot of it up and see that it's there in you know, the conceptual ideas and designs that people are bringing. And we just are going to take it and show people like this is how it can be incorporated into a society. So it's super fun in that way. Um, and that's a lot of what we're doing with Golden City and its look. And a lot of Afro-punk, we want to bring in this idea that we're using tattoos and all of these things as a way to communicate wearable technology. Um, uh, you know, the Kamoyo, the, the Kamoyo beads that um, I think everybody would be excited to see and how we handle that and still incorporating the sand as their main technology that the princess developed. Um, so there'll be a lot of fun story points about that. I think one of my, everything's my favorite, but <laughs> <laughs> one of my very, very favorites is Jabari Land. And uh, known in the comics as Gorilla City, which is over here, we decided, and it was, a, again, Ryan and I, has had, we've had so much fun in Discovery here, because he was like, what about snow? And we were, you know, talking on the phone for a couple months before we really got on the ground. It's like, snow in Africa? Like, what? What are you talking about? I start looking at pictures and seeing lions with snow. Who would have thought? And then, you know, months later, here we are standing 7,000 feet up in snow in Africa, South Africa. So that was great. And he's like, what if, what if Jabari instead of, because we started out putting them down in the rainforest. And he's like, what if they were in the mountains in the snow? Okay, this is, we're going to do this. We're going to do snow. And we have been doing it. It's been fabulous. So we, we've kind of put Gorilla City up in the snow in the mountains to help isolate them a little bit. And, and it's all wood. So we've been really working with um, how we can come up with sort of the tradition and technology outside of using vibranium for the Jabari. So it's, it's been a ton of fun. And the, the throne room that you see there sort of in the middle has is is really one of the you know we worked really hard on that design and and the thing about it you know I wanted it to be intimidating in a way that you may not want to be standing there <laughs> so it it was like what if we hung spears it started out with spears and they're all pointing at you and then at the back we have and Baku and you're sort of like okay <laughs> this is a little intimidating and we turn them into giant logs um, with spear points pointing at you so that was one fun thing and and then you know I don't want to give everything. So I'm going to let you, your mind kind of go with that, but it is a wood society. And there's a healing hut. Um, and then we move over to South Korea, the casino, um, which is really fabulous. All of this will be practical. The fish market, which is Jigolchi fish market when we were in South Korea again. And I, Ryan's really good for this, and he really spurs me along. And as much as I like to be like, well, I did it all, um, <laughs> he uh, really comes up with these ideas. So here we're standing in Jigal Fish Market in South Korea after having scouted many, many um, really beautiful hotels there to shoot this casino scene. And he says to me, you know, he pulls me aside, he's like, what if it's 
an underground casino that they walk through this fish market and you walk into this really beautiful casino. And I just looked at him. I said, that's it. We're done. I just got my iPhone and started making notes about what this place should look back, sent it straight to the illustrators and said, let's get going. This is going to be tons of fun. So it's the texture there is I'm super excited about. Of course, we will also be there, but um, uh, walking into that. So it's sort of our uh, high-end illegal casino, which will be tons of fun because there's tons of action in it. And I was like, it has to be as beautiful as possible so we can completely destroy it. (laughs) Nothing more exciting than seeing something so beautiful just just destroyed gunfire and uh, fighting. So that's going to be a ton of fun. And then we have, you know, the CIA black site that we're doing also where we go. And this is the scene with Claws in. And we're super excited about this. And there's more action. There's more action in this film. And the lovely thing about Ryan is he really does mix the action with sort of intimate, personal, character-driven scenes. So I think that that's something that's really going to be great and really different. That you're going to really get to know these people and see a lot of it in the design and who they are and sort of how they handle themselves and um, as, as, as people and as a society and, and why it's important that we bring Wakanda to the world. So in short, that's sort of where we are with uh, the design of Wakanda. And there's much, much more, but I'll leave it at that. <laughs> so. <laughs> so you can know, honor God and see when the movie comes out. Where did you find inspiration in the kind of the African elements as far as the architecture and stuff like that and mixing it with the tech? You know, I started poking around and, and looking at like really modern architects who have designed in Africa, all over Africa, East and West Africa. And someone who I really fell in love with was Zaha Hadid who has passed away, but she is one of the foremost architects. So I started really looking at her because she's a very, her architecture very voluptuous and very flowing, very organic. So I thought this would be good. And the more I started digging into like Senegal and Nigeria and finding things while not necessarily futuristic looking, very modern in their sensibilities as far as the way they're putting together their uh, elements and uh, in, in the colors that they use and I was very I was struck by that so we I took a lot of that in and a lot of it does come from Nigeria I think in Kenya Uganda um, Johannesburg was another one where no matter where you go you really do see that they're always keeping in mind the tradition so a lot of traveling around we would be up in Golden Gate which is the, on the border of Lesotho um, and we're looking at these mountains, and Ryan says to me, he said, that looks like a Rondavel. And I was like, yeah, it, it does. And we actually went to Blighted Canyon, a place called Three Rondavels, where you see the rock that looks like these huts. And we were really taken by the idea that however many tens of thousands of years ago, people were looking at these and thinking, this is how we build. This is how we create uh, you know, our homes and finding that inspiration within nature. So a lot of it came from that, but a lot of it did come from the architecture that's currently there and beyond what anyone would really think. It's a place sort of like Singapore where you're not really thinking it's going to it's gonna have more sort of hanuk type places, more sort of rondavel, and then you just get blown away by seeing like these super modern places that you would never expect to be there in the middle of what is almost nowhere. I can promise you there was so 
several times. I was like, I think I'm at least 100 miles away from any kind of Starbucks. Or <laughs> so I'm pretty sure we're in the middle of nowhere. But um, you find these really great things. But then you would find you would find this really sort of traditional, but you would see where it could be taken for the future. And that's a lot of what we did. Um, is It was important for us to, to keep that uh, tradition because we didn't want to go. We wanted to honor and have reverence for the continent and um, bring it to the screen in a way that you haven't seen before as being a prosperous place. I'm very intrigued by the uh, circular design elements. We <laughs> see it in the throne room. We see it in the City of the Dead. We see it in the Great Mound, even almost a spiral there, and yes. in the Wakanda Design Group. What what does that circular element uh, tell that. us about, <laughs> about Wakanda and about the way that they're... Nice eye. Well, you know, and I did a lot of research into what the circular designs mean as far as like you look at Stonehenge you look at a lot of these old designs and they were actually based on the idea of bringing in plumbing you know not electric but using water as a way to um, create sort of an electricity if you will Rome did it they you know but it was all based on these circles uh, you know, a lot of the cave writings that you see in South Africa, the idea behind it was that whatever was there before, if you ever watched Ancient Aliens, you know, there's always a guy like, it was aliens! And it's like, okay, calm down, bring it down to thousand. We don't know what it was. But, uh, <laughs> but the, sort of the idea behind it was is there was always these circles, and it has to do with vibration and sound. And a lot of the stuff that we're doing is sonic and based on sound and vibration. Vibranium is about vibration and soaking that vibration in. And we started with Hall of Kings with the circle because of that. And it was interesting. At one point when I was doing Hall of Kings, I found um, one of the ancient structures in South Africa. And you have to excuse me. I do not remember the name right now. Uh, they'd done a, a plan view layout of it. And I took it after we had done the layout for Hall of Kings and set it literally right on top of our plan and it was identical. And I was and it, that was one of those moments where I was like, oh my gosh. <laughs> so this is Kismet, I don't know what's happening. So then we started bringing it in as a design language and really like a lot of this society is based on that vibration and sound is communication and sound is life as well as water and air. So bringing that in really was a part of creating, bringing that tradition and creating its own tradition. And so I kind of wrote around, you know, I, I, I created this sort of text that I sort of wrote about like, okay, this is why we have so many round things. So you will see that. Thank you for listening. <laughs> yes. Because oftentimes you don't want people to notice your production design. And you know you've done well when they don't. But in this instance, no, please, no. So much of your work with Ryan had been so grounded and down to earth. Were you dying to do this kind of world building? Or did you kind of have to wrap your head around how you were going to come at it? I had to wrap my head around how I was coming. I had to wrap my head around Krieg, so I was like, boxing, are you kidding? Like, <laughs> you know, so that, there was that. And then when he, this came up, it really was, I had to dive in, both feet first. Um, I have an 18-year-old son who loves Marvel, so thank God for that. <laughs> he uh, really uh, 
kind of brought me up to speed about a lot of things. <laughs> and for the last nine months, I've done nothing. I've lived nothing. I've breathed nothing but this. So it was. Yes. <laughs> you mentioned um, working with Ryan Howe, and I've noticed this in a lot of his work where he has these intimate moments and these really big, I mean, intimate dialogue and it's really big moments. So with that and with your visual work, how has that further um, expanded your, your perspective of space and how to curate that space? That's a really good question because, you know, one thing I was concerned about was because here everything is big. And I noticed one thing that we always talked about in Africa was like, you have no point of perspective because everything is huge. You're like, I'm not sure if that's 10 feet or 50,000 feet. Like, you just sort of lose this idea of perspective. And the one thing that I really didn't want to do was lose being in this big cavernous space and an intimate moment happening. And you feel like you're in a big cavernous space and an intimate moment is happening. And I think the way that I approached that was always bringing in a natural uh, material. So you'll almost notice in every single set there is um, mud. We did a lot of Timbuktu um, muds in it. Like in the throne room in the middle, you'll see that we have a Timbuktu uh, pyramid, which is uh, Mali, I believe, that you'll find those with the sticks coming out of them, sort of what they call scaffolding. That's how they repair them. And so by adding the sigils will, are all mud. So we have a lot of glass and metal which are very hard surfaces. And when you're in a big cavernous space, it becomes a huge cavernous space. But when you start bringing, pulling in earth, um, sand and Shuri's floor, uh, you know, we're right out in the middle of the mountains in Machinga. We're in the, uh, up in a city of the dead, we're in the middle of the jungle. So you bring in these natural things into each of the spaces and all of a sudden you start to soften the space, it starts to, you know, instead of an echo, you don't get the bounce back anymore. It becomes soft it, and it becomes less intimidating and actually brings the space down. Now, not everybody would agree with that because they'd be like, why does it have to be so big? Because, you know, you let me do it and I'm going to make it huge. <laughs> but I think that was one of the ways around keeping the intimacy, keeping it sort of grounded at all times is by bringing in some form of uh, earth into the set and uh, that's that's sort of what kept it kept it on its on the ground obviously um when you come to the movie like this wakanda is completely a blank slate it's wherever you guys see it but you're also being like the 20th movie in a series of movies do you look back at the other film the mcu for any kind of inspiration or any kind of rules that you can or can't break or do they play no role at all they really didn't play a role. I think one thing that Ryan and I came in wanting to do is break all the rules. Um, while we do have to be thoughtful and mindful about MCU, um, one of our things was it isn't like any place else, you know, and because it's supposed to be advanced, uh, it couldn't be. And it, oftentimes it's hard to do something that's advanced, not alien, but advanced, because this is set in 2016, or 2018, excuse me. <laughs> uh, <laughs> um, you know, you don't want to take it that place. You want, but you still have to feel connected to the rest of the universe, you know. So it, it, that was a challenge to do that and keep it standing alone. Uh, the one thing, you know, we've been mindful of, you know, a lot of talking about Iron Man because he really was the one that set the pace for what you know as being, you know, Marvel, what you know as being futuristic, you know, and he's the richest man ever, so he can have whatever he wants. So we we were, we did have to be mindful of how we we're going to make it different, 
um, why, why we're going a different route with the technology in this one, because you're used to seeing Tony Stark's holograms and the blue and the sort of all the crazy things that he can do. And we wanted Wakandans to be able to do, and especially T'Challa to do the same thing, but not have it be as recognizable as what Tony Stark is doing. I have to ask this question because my readers would want to know. Um, how was your production design work similar on this film to your work on Beyonce's Lemonade? <laughs> Fabulous! <laughs> well, it really, it, you know, the, okay, I will say this, because there are two very different things. And um, I will say that B, you know, once clamped down on lemonade, as far as like as much what I can say about it or how much I can get into it, the, the thing that is similar, I would say, is this idea of going back to an older time and modernizing it and 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 reclaiming it and re owning it in a different way. And was, I think that's what we did in lemonade, where we were like, hey, we're going back to the eighteen hundreds. Um, and a lot of the scenes, you, you see plantations, you see this and that. But if you look at it, it's all black women. It's all, and they're all doing, you know, they're eating at this beautiful table. They're doing all the, so we just sort of retold the story in a different way, which in a lot of ways is, you know, a, a, a route to go with Afrofuturism. And which is basically just taking the story and, and making it, into something that is not what it was originally supposed to be. Where we, you know, are taking it and mixing it up and and own and, and reowning it. So that's that's why I think we did a lot in lemonade, and I think that that's kind of what's happening here in Wakanda a little bit. And they both deal with royalty. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, so, um, <laughs> so, um, so, um, so, um, so I'm the lemonade tip, but I'm not going to say, but um, just thank you. No, you got it. You, 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 I was going to say thank you. Like, that was it. Like, I was going to say, well, you're welcome. <laughs> but um, you said that the casino um, underground part was kismet, and so I'm sure there was great moments through the whole production design where you knew right away. Can you talk to the one that was the hardest to sort of come to, the look? Which one did you fight the most with trying? Find. The tribal council. Tribal council. Them. What was hardest about it? You know, it was one of those things where, you know, going back to another question, we didn't want it to be this huge place. We wanted it to be different. We wanted it to feel like this is where all the elders would be. You know, there's many things that it needed to do. There's many things that it needed to do for production's sake and many things it needed to do for story's sake. So it was always like, how are we going to, you know, it, it was one that we took a little more time on. Than, than anything else came really easy but that one was hard to make it royal but not make it like insane and over the top but keep it traditional but also show this you know advanced society while keeping that and because you know you've seen a million throne rooms man you know so it was like I don't want to do any of that and I don't want to do any of that and, you what know, was the light bulb moment like what kicked it uh, the glass floor, the glass floor, which is like a really benign, <laughs> boring thing. Like, really, that's what got it? Yeah. Um, the glass floor. But I think when we put that Timbuktu uh, pyramid in, in the glass floor, it was when it was like, I got it. Okay. I, I feel good about it, you know, and it would be just talking to Ryan all the time about, like, what about that? What about that? And we'd be like, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, 
Or no, no, no. You <laughs> said yes to me every single time. <laughs> uh, I think time for one last question. Well, I'm curious how uh, geography plays, uh, play, plays a role in your work because, I mean, obviously we're seeing so many dynamic locations, but Wakanda itself is a small country. It um, is very small. So I'm curious how you're keeping that in mind as you're designing all these dynamic and very different places. The borders were very important because it's a lot about you know, bag, and I don't know how much I can and can't say. Look at Carol. Um, <laughs> but that was important where it was placed. And we did go round and round about that because there are some scenes like in Iron Man where he's like, where's Wakanda? And then there's the famous the map, thing, the yeah. map. And we're like, does he need to be there? And we're like, maybe he was wrong. <laughs> maybe he didn't really have that right because you're not really supposed to know. Um, it is hidden. And we went back and forth about where we put it, but we wanted it to be in an area where there's a little bit of conflict but also on one side of your border there's no conflict but we needed the mountains we also needed some water we also needed you know some rivers and things like that and I'm like well you know we can put anything we want in there but I really wanted to use a piece that was that was real and so we did and maybe I won't say what The Black Girl Nerds podcast is produced by Jamie Brodnax. Various episodes are edited by Jamie Brodnax, M.R. Daniel, and John Bauer. The opening theme song to our show is written and performed by Samus. Various instrumentals are performed by Samus, Sky Blue, and Shubzilla. You can find episodes of the Black Girl Nerds podcast on iTunes, SoundCloud, Google Play Music, Stitcher, Art19, and Spotify. That was a HeadGum podcast.